You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Hey, hey. Wednesday evening, time for some American Winer here on PodcastDetroit.com. My name is Alex. Thanks so much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen. My guest tonight, joining us via Skype from all the way down in Nashville, Tennessee, Mr. John Connor. How you doing, man? Hey, Alex, man. I'm doing, uh, I'm doing really, really good. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You're, uh, you're the host of uh, the John Versations podcast, which you just started recently. We'll talk about that. You're also... Uh, a musician. You were very, very active in the Detroit music scene for a number of years. We will talk about that. Um, are, are you uh, joining us from Nashville tonight? Yeah. So I actually live, um, I live in a town that's about 20 minutes outside the city. So okay. um, it's just, you know, with uh, being married and having a kid, it makes it easier. You know, the cost is a little less, but we can still kind of get, you know, downtown and, and enjoy the city without, you know, kind of having to deal with the hustle or bustle or, Nashville's just growing and growing and growing. So the more people that get here, it's just the more expensive it ends up being. So yeah, yeah, I hear you. I've I've had a little experience with Nashville. I've been down there a couple times. I really like it. It's the one place that I keep talking about moving to, and then I just I just never leave Detroit. So I don't know. Uh, I don't know if that'll actually <laughs> ever happen. But you actually pulled the trigger on that, and that's something else we will talk about. Uh, but the first question I always ask with every interview: Where were you born? Yeah, man. So I was born in Pontiac, Michigan. Um, and then I, you know, spent my early years, probably till about like third or fourth grade, uh, living in Madison Heights on John R. Eight Mile. So, Madison Heights. um, yeah, after that, we moved out to, uh, Plymouth Canton and then, you know, spent the, till I moved down here, that's, you know, pretty much where I spent all my time. So you were, most of your life has been spent in, uh, was spent in Plymouth Canton area then where, where in Plymouth Canton were you? Uh, yeah, so I was right on uh, Joy Road in Haggerty, like right when you got off 275. Oh, yeah. So that was nice because, you know, if you wanted to go to Ann Arbor, if you wanted to go to Detroit, you know, you just hop on and go. So it was kind of a, a little bit of a central location. We're bridging right right up next to like Westland Livonia on that side of town. Yeah, it's a good spot to be. There's, it's the, Like you said, you're right next to the freeway there, and if you need to get to some some other place, then it's 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 just a straight shot down 275, down 94, oh, yeah. you know, whatever. So tell me about uh, growing up in, in the Detroit area then. Like what were you into? What did you fill your time with when you weren't at school? Yeah, man. So, I mean, I've always – always been into music and even though like now i'm not like as active as far as you know playing shows or performing or anything like that like it's still something i mean i've got a bunch of songs written i just i write them and record them even if nobody's ever going to hear them so um yeah i was i remember you know being a kid my parents took me to church so i like to sing in church and and stuff like that um i was kind of a weird kid man when i was little i got into like I remember being like fourth or fifth grade and I got really into like balloon animals for a little bit. Um, balloon so like, animals. That was something I did. Yeah. You, you, I, so I, you like, well, well, hold on. Like why balloon animals? That's, that's a random thing. Let's talk about that. I, I got it for like my birthday in one year and it was like a balloon animal kit. So it was like, you got a bunch of the, you know, like the long stretchy balloons and a book. And then there was a pump. So you just blow them up and tie it. And then you had to go through the book and, it would show you like how to do the folds so you can make like a dog or like make a, make a dinosaur and, or like a, make a dog or a giraffe. And it's the exact same thing except the, the neck is longer on the giraffe. So you, did you get pretty <laughs> good at it then? Did you, did you find that you could, you could impress people at parties and all that? Uh, well I had, I could do three things. I could do a sword, which was pretty easy. 
I could do the dog and then do the giraffe. Um, at that age, I don't know how many like parties I was going to. Um, but I just remember like if, you know, we had people over, if my parents, you know, invited people over or if, uh, you know, I had friends over from school or something, I'd be like, check this out. And just, and it's funny now because as an adult, that it, the sound of someone like rubbing a balloon is like nails on a chalkboard to me. <laughs> like I, I just absolutely can't, it makes my skin crawl. I get, I break out in goosebumps. So I don't <laughs> understand how I was ever into it as a kid, but yeah, it was just, you know, nerdy thing. I played magic, the gathering a little bit for a while, you know, nothing. Uh, I've never been what you would call like quote unquote cool kid. So if it was weird, I was into it kind of. So, well, so you don't do balloon animals anymore then you, you said the noise drives you nuts. So you can't, you couldn't even, yeah, man, as a 35 year old, if I was still doing balloon animals, I would, I think there'd be, yeah, your kid, uh, your, like you said, kid. you know, your kid would be like, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like I'd be the guy in the block that parents are like, don't walk by his house. <laughs> He's always outside making balloon animals, especially down in Nashville too. They would, uh, like, oh yeah. Like, this damn Yankee just <laughs> making giraffes and swords all day. Uh, so, um, what did your parents do? Yeah, man. So my dad, um, my dad built cylinders. Uh, he still works for the same company. It's called Parker Hannafin. Um, they're in, uh, Plymouth, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's worked in a machine shop, just building cylinders. I mean, for as long as I can remember, um, that's actually what got us to Plymouth was he, he was doing it at Madison Heights and then got a job offer, you know, for a company doing the same thing, making more. So we moved out. And I remember as a kid, um, like, you know, Titanic came out. And so the company that he worked for in the movie, when the boat split, when they filmed it, they had to have hydraulics that did that. Like the boat came together as one piece, the hydraulics would, they kick on the hydraulics and that's what caused it to like raise and split. So you know, we saw that movie when we were kids. He was like, oh, yeah, like my company made those cylinders. Like, that's why that boat splits. Or we go to Cedar Point. And he'd be like, oh, that's a Parker Hannafin cylinders on this. And you know what I mean? So he was uh, he was very, very proud of what he did. He's just one of those guys that, you know, he got up every day and went into work. And, you know, he'd be at work at 435 in the morning, work all day. And, I mean, he's been doing it for years. My mom, for a really long time, um, was a stay at home mom. I'm the oldest of four. So, you know, when we were younger, <clears throat> she was, you know, just home with the kids. Um, when we got older, my parents got divorced and she actually uh, is a para pro. So she works with kids uh, with like autism, Asperger's, things like that. Um, and basically kind of, she's, she would be the person that goes and sits with them, helps them do their homework, things like that. Uh, and I don't know if they still do it this way, but for a long time, like she would get assigned a kid and then she would go like grade by grade by grade by grade with that kid. So she, you know, would be with someone, you know, seven, eight years there, why they were in school, you know, and get to know the families, you know, friends, friends, things like that. So mm -hmm. I'm not sure if they still do that the same way, but, um, <clears throat> you know, it's easy to, to get attached and then they kind of become, you know, like second family to you because you're spending so much time with the kid and the parents and right. things like that. So, right. Yeah. That's a, that's a real intimate way of doing that. Um, over the, I mean, that kid, you basically become a second parent to that kid almost. Yeah. And you know, I like, I remember being, I remember being a kid and I mean, this might sound terrible to say, but you know, we had a, we had a, a kid in our school who had a parent pro and they like, they never explained it. You know what I mean? So we were just like, 
what's this like 40 year old lady doing with <laughs> Scotty every day? Like, she's, like they're always together. Like what is going on? And then I got older and I found out what it was. And I was like, Oh, like that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Cause you know, those kids have certain challenges that, you know, I think if you're not born with, with an issue like that, or, you know, you have a, a child with those kind of issues, things like that, that like, you don't even, I don't think you even understand the, the challenges. So it's gotta be really, really good to have someone that, you know, is there that you get familiar with that you can go to if you're having issues with anything, stuff like that. But like the, the kid that we went to school with, I mean, she rode the bus with them. Like every morning she was on the bus with them on the, uh, on the bus on the way home. And so, you know, it just didn't compute. I, I don't think we understood what was going on when we were younger. Yeah. Like I'd never even heard that term para pro before. I, I was familiar with the concept, but I didn't know that that's what the profession was called. So, I mean, there you go. Like you said, if you've never, you know, if you're not familiar with the, with, with somebody who has those, those issues, then uh, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to have any frame of reference for it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's definitely like, it's one of those things. It's, it's very, you know, cause teachers alone, you know, don't get paid in my opinion, nearly enough. Oh yeah. absolutely. Um, and then, you know, para, para pros or paraprofessionals, they get paid even less. So it really is one of those, uh, you know, it's kind of always equated sort of like, you know, people who are into playing music and things like that. Like you're definitely not doing it because you're getting some crazy paycheck or anything like that. It's, you've got a passion for it. It's something that you feel like you're called to do. Uh, and you know, I just, I don't know, there's, when you get old enough to realize what, what it actually is, there's a little bit of a, like a newfound respect in it. Yeah, definitely. Like I could never, like you said, the, the, it's, it is sort of about, it's definitely not about the money. It's about this sort of, you get sort of food pellets from the universe, uh, for, for doing it. It's just, it's just what you feel like you're supposed to be doing and the, whether that's music or, or working with, uh, uh, autistic kids or, or whatever. Um, but, uh. Yeah, that's that is that's really crazy, man. But so you were you you grew up in uh, Metro Detroit. You you were into some uh, some nerdy things, like you said. You played magic. You had a balloon animal hobby there for a little bit. Um, what kind of a student were you, man? So in like elementary school, middle school, I you know was always a really good student. Um, I never really had any issues, um, grasping materials, stuff like that. Um, I think where I hit my issue is two things happened when I was in middle school. Um, I got my first guitar. I grew up uh, with a buddy. Um, his name's Jeff Klein. Uh, he was living in Chicago. He actually just recently moved back to, uh, to Michigan, but he's a, uh, really solid drummer. Um, you know, he's just, he's someone I've known since I was literally like one of the first kids I met when I moved to the Plymouth Canton area. Uh, and I mean, I, I used to, I haven't talked to him in years, but you know, I, I got into, I remember getting into trouble with him and, you know, doing kid stuff with him, stuff like that. But he had a guitar uh, and a drum set at his house and I like just instantly fell in love with it. So I got a, I got my first acoustic guitar. I want to say I was in like seventh grade and it was just, you know, an Epiphone, like hundred dollar acoustic guitar at my I don't think my parents, you know, they were like, we're not, as, we're not sure how serious he's going to take it and things like that. So let's, you know, not like they were going out. And also we didn't have the income to go out and be like, you know, here's a $800 Fender Strat or something like that. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, so I got really into that. Um, and then I actually started playing in my first band when I was in like eighth grade. Um, and then the other thing is 
one of the older kids told me at, at a certain point, they're like, hey, just so you know, you're, you'll only get held back if your parents allow them to hold you back. Hmm. And I was already, um, I had attention, I have attention deficit disorder. Um, I had it really bad when I was a kid. So I actually started school a year late. So I was a year older than everybody. I, I had to do, it's called uh, developmental kindergarten. Hmm. So it's for kids who, you know, got a lot of energy, can't focus, things like that. I did a year of that and then went into normal kindergarten. So I was already a year older and I was like, well, shit, I'm already a year older than everybody else. Like, there's no way my parents are going to hold me back. So it was, that was for me, that was kind of like the green light to be like, well, I don't really have to like, I don't really have to do much. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, at least until it comes to high school and then I have to, you know, pass my classes to graduate and stuff like that. But you know, if I don't do well in eighth grade, it's not like my parents are going to be like, he has to do eighth grade again. So um, I would say, you know, through elementary school, middle school, I was a great student. I got into high school and was playing in bands and stuff like that. And it's, it's not that I was a bad student. I just chose, as soon as I got out of school, I was at my buddy Nate's house. We had a, a three-piece little like punk rock band called Mercury Shoes. I mean, as punk rock as you can be, you know, when you're like 13, 14 years old. And I didn't want to do my, I didn't want to do homework. I didn't want to, you know, study for tests, anything like that. All I wanted to do was play music. So from the time I got out of school until the time I got home and, you know, was going to bed, that's what I did. Um, and so like, I would take my test, pass my test, but I would have, you know, 0% on the homework. Cause I was just like, I'm not doing it. Right. Um, so, I mean, you know, not a, not a bad student. I just, there was other things that were on my priority list. I'd say, well, you'd find what you wanted to do or what you, you know, what your, your passion was. That's the thing. And that's, that's a hell of a lot better than somebody going home and just doing nothing. And you know, it's funny because you're like, Oh, the, your friend was like, well, the, the school won't hold you back if your parents won't let them. And, uh, and that's that, that's kind of true nowadays, isn't it? Like I hear a lot of teachers complaining that it's it's parents will get in your in the school's faces and say, "Hey, my kid is I don't care if my kid's not passing this. I, I you're not holding him back." I don't know how common it is, and I don't know how often it actually works, but I do know that the conflict occurs quite a bit. So I, it's funny yeah. that that kid said that. I can it's I see where he got it from even back then. Yeah, and I mean, and I will say this: like knowing my parents now. If I really bombed out that hard, I could very well see them being like, you know what? Like, no, hold them back. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like, he, he needs to learn. I think <clears throat> whether it was like unintentional or not, I always did enough so that I would like pass the class. Uh -huh. So, you know, I may not pass by a lot, but it was always, hey, you've got the credit, move on to the next thing. Um, and I don't know if that was just me kind of like subconsciously being like, you know, I don't even want to deal with it. Um, but, you know, I think I just had it in my head that I was like, as long as I do just good enough, I, I can devote my effort, my, my effort and my energy into something else and just skate by here. Like uh, we took, a, we had a class in high school, it was called Close Up. Um, and it was basically like government studies. And I, the whole year, I didn't turn in like a single lick of paperwork. And so uh, I had a teacher who came up to me, his name is Mr. Boyd, I'll remember it forever. But he was like, listen, man, like, you're going to fail my class. He's like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So I'll do this. If you, if you pass my, if you pass the final exam with a B or above, 
I'll pass you for the year. And so I was like, okay. And I, I, I don't think he thought that I knew the subject matter. So I, you know, I went home, studied for an hour, went to class. And I ended up getting an A on the test. Nice. And so he pulled, he pulled me out into the, into the hallway and put me up against the locker. And he was like, what is wrong with you? He was like, your year would have been so much easier if you just would have, you know, done the whole, you obviously know. It. And I was like, man, I, I had other stuff that I wanted to do, you know, like, so, you know, now that I have a kid of my own, I mean, she's very young, she's, you know, 16 months, but I'm just like, man, I hope that she gets her her school work ethic from her mom. Cause you know, her mom's talking about wanting to go back for her master's and get her PhD eventually and stuff like that. So I'm like, please take after her, you know, get, get that from her. Cause if you're anything like me, we're going to have a rough couple of uh, high school years. So, well, um, so you, you mentioned that you got your first, uh, guitar, uh, when you're, was it 13? It was, it was eighth grade somewhere in there. Um, and, yeah, yeah. I'd say about 13. Okay. But you'd been into music. You said pretty much your whole life, right? Yeah, man. Uh, so like my mom, um, my mom played guitar growing up. Um, she had a, a really nice, like a Martin 12 string. Mm. And when I was two years old, she had it sitting on the bed and I jumped up on, and this, this is like a 19, like 65 Martin 12 string acoustic guitar. Like, cause she got it when she was in, when she was in like high school. So it was laying on the bed. She had been fiddling with it and set it down. And I jumped up on the bed at like two years old and just went right through the back of it. Oh, like destroyed shit. It. So and she's never owned another one since. So one day my goal is to, to get her that same one, but it's going to, you know, it's, it's, they're definitely not, they're more, way more expensive now than they were back then. Um, so, you know, that's on my bucket list of things to do for her, um, you know, down the line is to get her something, you know, comparable to that but she really liked like 60s folk you know like Joni Mitchell stuff like that uh and then she got really into like country pop music at the time so like your Garth Brooks Alan Jackson all that stuff so I grew up listening to that stuff um and then I met you know my that that kid I was telling you about Jeff and he was into like Prodigy and Blink 182 and so like this whole new door had opened up so I was just like, like, man, I like, I love singing. Yeah. I was in choir. I, you know, would sing in church growing up and stuff like that. But I was like, I want to like write songs. I, I was hitting that puberty age and was like, man, I just, I've got all these feelings. I gotta, I'm angry. I'm sad, blah, blah, blah. I just got to <laughs> write something. So that was that weird kid that would like write poetry and stuff like that, you know, and I would think it was really deep, but if I go back and look at it now, it's probably like absolutely awful. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I've, I just remember asking like, I would like, please, like I'll do anything. I just want this for Christmas. Can you please get this for me for Christmas? And luckily the, the parents came through. And, they, and so uh, did Mercury shoes come about right after that? Or did, did you, had you been playing a little bit before, uh, before you, you joined other people? Yeah. So like I had some buddies, like I uh, like, man, it's, it's crazy. Cause I haven't thought about a lot of these people in years, but um I had a buddy named Dan Gaffke and he, you know, had a, like a, just a real shitty drum set. Um, and so like, we used to get together and like play in my garage, you know what I mean? So like definitely wasn't like a, like a band, but you know, just kind of kids like trying to figure it out. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and then I met, uh, I met my buddy, Nate booze. Um, and then, uh, my friend, Matt, uh, Matt Kapler, 
Um, and we just kind of started playing and that was in eighth grade. And then we played together like all through high school. Um, you know, we were, we kind of knew, I think like junior year that, you know, people were going to go off to college and stuff like that, like, uh, after high school. So it was, you know, I don't think there was much of a expectation to kind of keep it going. Um, but we, you know, we were just playing shows whenever we could. And, you know, I think, I think that's the time that you're just trying to get your chops up. You know what I mean? Cause you really don't know what you're doing. You're, you're writing songs that, you know, aren't really all that great, but you've still got the, uh, you've still got like the hubris to be like, I'm going to perform these and in front of I'm going to invite people. I'm going to make flyers to come out and see this very like mediocre, uh, very mediocre, like very young and angsty three piece group. You know what I mean? So, um, I, I mean, I would say that was really like the first, the first man. Cause I got that guitar seventh grade. And then by eighth grade, like we were starting to, you know, form like a quote unquote band. Well, I remember that was where I first, cause you were in, you were in Mercury shoes when I started coming down to uh, Canton to see local bands perform. Cause I, I was in high school at that point. I would have been like my junior, senior year. And uh, my friend, uh, uh, or rather he was more of an acquaintance of my classmate and Ryan Kendall. And then another one named Miles Starp was in a band called first in line. And then there was another, oh, yeah. there was another band that they were in called for the fallen, fallen later on. But I remember one night at the barn, uh, they, they, it was, I believe it was, it was first in line. And then sandbox heroes was another band that played out then. Um, and, uh, they, they, the sandbox heroes at the end of the show had this guy come up and sing, uh, the best of me by the starting line with them. And in those days, it was hard to find, it was just a bunch of teenagers, you know, like you said, kind of trying to figure it out. And, uh, it was hard to find people that could actually sing. But I remember, cause it was you, you got up and sang the song with them. And I was like, this guy can actually fucking sing. Like he's actually hitting <laughs> notes. I recognize this song. He's, he's singing. And, uh, and so that was when I first heard about you or, or saw you rather. And then it turned out, oh yeah, that's John. He's in a band called Mercury Shoes. I, you guys had an EP, I believe it was called The Place to Be or something to that effect. Yeah. Um, I still, I, I have that somewhere. I ended up getting it and it's, it's still in my CD collection somewhere, uh, along with all Did the rest you of the crap. Have that? Yeah. I need you to like, to like, put that up online somewhere and send it to me because i don't have it yeah i'll try i it's it's i have a trunk full of all my old cds and i know the sandbox heroes are still in there i believe first in line still in there and that's where it would be so i'll i'll look for it and i'll see if i can find it and 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 send it to you um because yeah you probably haven't even thought about that and you know going on 20 years now oh my god yeah well um like uh it's funny brian kendall um, I still like when the John Versations podcast launched, he reached out and was like, Hey man, like I'm excited for your show. Like, um, I'll let you know what I think of it and all this stuff. And so it's funny, like I still, I still, you know, it's mostly through like Facebook and stuff like that, but we keep in touch from time to time. And the house next to my mom was for sale <laughs> and, uh, they were showing it and this van showed up and it was Ryan and, and, you know, his wife and they were looking at this house and she was like, Oh my God, I haven't seen you since you were a little kid. So it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's just, it's funny. It, it's crazy to think that you know that started like 20 years ago you know, I know. what i mean because i'm i'll be 35 on sunday and uh i mean i started playing with the the dudes and and mercury shoes and stuff like that when i was like 14 15 years old so it's, it's like it doesn't feel like that much time has passed but then when you look back at it you're like 
wow, like that's crazy. And, and I think at that point too, you know, like the, like the drive through records band. So, you know, you had like your newfound glory, you had, um, the starting line. Um, oh my God, there were so many dashboard confessional. His first record was on, uh, was on drive through records. And then you had like your fuel by ramen. So you had like your fallout boys and stuff like that before. Right. And the militia group and like, yeah. Yeah, before, I mean, you know, I remember seeing Fallout Boy the first year they played Warp Tour, and there were so many people pre- pressed up against the stage that it collapsed. Oh, wow. um, but, you know, like the early November, stuff like that, there was so many of those bands, it was almost like a religion to me, where I was just like, the, and I think it was because all of them were young, you know what I mean? These were all bands where the kids were like, you know, the the bass player for the starting line started playing for that band when he was like 16 years old. He lied about his age so that he could go to this audition. And, and then they found out like after they had brought him into the band that he was like four years younger than everybody else. Um, but I just remember being like all, like all these people are young. Like they, they are writing about stuff that's important to them. You know what I mean? And like their experiences. And I was like, it just, I think, that that was the age where it really made you feel like you like if you really worked hard like you could do it yeah. you know what i mean and uh i remember the guy who owned drive through records his name was rich and uh they had this is back when aol is the messenger was really big but he put up his screen name on their website so you could reach out to him like we sent him uh we sent him our demos and he reached out to us on AOL and some messengers like, Hey, like, I, you know, I really like the idea here. Uh, I think it was one of those things that kind of shattered me at a young age. Cause he was like, your singer needs to take a few, uh, needs to take a few vocal lessons. And I think at that age, I was just like, Oh no, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I sing in church, right, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. I sing in church. Um, but yeah, you know, it was just, it just felt like it was, it was different because, you know, it's not like you could reach out to, you know, whoever's running Capitol Records and be like, hey, we're, we've recorded this demo on a karaoke machine. What do you think? You know what I mean? Yeah. So well, it was sort I of that. Just like, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say it was sort of that last, the, the last gasp of the traditional record era because it was the Napster had happened at that point, but it, it wasn't ubiquitous and it wasn't like it is today where you, can, you anybody can put anything up anywhere, which is, which has its own, you know, merits. But at the same time, it's it's just this absolute sea of data that is impossible to get to get distinguished in. And back then, like you said, you could there were still indie there was still sort of levels to it, and you could reach out to the indie labels, and the indie labels had legitimate followings that would it was easier to build a platform. I mean, hell, those Canton shows, man, like those were really freaking well attended for like years like those were good shows that was just a good scene to be part of it was you guys it was uh sandbox heroes which way is home was another band that i I really liked madison ad um it was just a it was that was just a good time and it was like the plymouth canton like church band scene you guys weren't church bands but you played in a lot of sort of church sponsored stuff and then like club triune was another venue i remember the summit was really popular um uh, and th- there were other ones too, but, uh, but that, that, you know, that, that's not a- around anymore. I mean, well, I take that back. What the fuck? Though? I'm 33. So I don't know what teenagers are doing now, right. but I know that whatever they're doing, it's not that it's, there's the, the, the sort of the different 
tiers of the record business have completely morphed into something else. And it's, it's still possible to, to go do it and to have your stuff out there. But it's, it, like you said, there's, there is kind of this sense of like, it's not so, it's not, it's not so far out of reach. It's not just this lottery. Like I can reach out to the, to the, the guy who runs this label just on AOL messenger and talk to him. And even if he tells me that my, my voice sucks, I, uh, I can still, I'm still, he's still saying it to me, you know, whereas now it's somebody in that position is going to get inundated with so much, uh, stuff that they're not going to be able to reach out to individual people, let alone talk to them one-on-one. So it's, that that was a good time in my opinion. I mean, and I didn't even play at that, that point I was too, I was too fucking nervous to, to go out. I just wanted to go out and be part of it and watch the shows. That was my, my thing. Um, there was, yeah, but it was, that was a really great scene. It was, like I said, all those different bands, Tab Tragedy was another one, the Great Basement Crusade. And then all those groups kind of like started coalescing into other groups and, and, um, it was really cool to see. It was just, it was really cool to be part of. And and that was what got me interested in, in playing and, uh, wanting to write my own stuff. And I still do it today. So it's, it's, you know, it, it means a lot. Uh, and I'm sure it means a lot to you as well, or it meant a lot to you. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely still does, because this is what I'll say, you know, it, it it was definitely the suburbs, you know what I mean? But, mm-hmm. you know, the the barn, they still do shows, you know what I mean? I know, um, so like, Evan, who, uh, Evan Baker, who is in American Arson now, he was in Sandbox Heroes, we played together in the Rising Tide, mm-hmm. you know, they just did their annual Ugly Christmas sweater, I think it's like the 15th year in a row. So the barn is still, the barn is still a great place for you know, if you're into going to see and supporting local music, uh, it's, I mean, and we would have people that, you know, we would have bands that came, you know, from out of state for those shows because you knew if you set up a merch table, like there was going to be kids there and you can make, you know, money for gas and food and get you to the next city. Um, but what I will say, and, and I, what I think I, I didn't really, what didn't really hit home with me when I was younger, when we were actually playing out all the time was that that was really a great town as far as people giving kids the opportunity to do something. You know what I mean? Like the summit is a huge recreational area. I mean, they, they probably make just money hand over fist with having the gym, the swimming pool, all the community things they do and things like that. So to let, you know, to let a couple kids come in and set up two different stages and then be like, yeah, we're going to have like a thousand, you know, hormonal teenagers in here tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was really cool of them. Or, you know, you had your places like the, uh, like the internet cafe that used to be on Ford and Lily. Yeah, like that's how long that's ago right. it was literally called the internet cafe. Yeah. And they, you know, they would, they would be like, yeah, come in and, and, you know, set it up and, you're in just this little like strip mall lot, but there's, you know, 200 kids crammed in there to see bands. And that was another place, you know, we had, we were able to get enough kids there that we could bring bands like, you know, Benson in from New York or, um, you know, just have touring bands, you know, it was back when, you know, we were playing at churches with Chiotis or, uh, you know, Mr. Muggs and, and Ypsilanti, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. And love if, drug came through one I time. I think newfound glory even played with somebody at one point. It, it was early on, but I'm, I'm, I remember Evan telling a story where the bassist gave them like a paper plate, like face or something like that, like a mask that they'd made together. I don't remember the specific story, but Evan was actually on the podcast. I've had him 
Uh, he was on, oh, yeah, very early on. I've been doing, it'll be three years. I've been doing it this May and he was on like in September of 2017. So it was, that was a long time ago now, but yeah, I've had him on. I had Eric Nicolau from uh, which way is home. I've had you now. And I feel like there's one other person that I'm forgetting, but, um, but yeah, so that, yeah, that, that was the point point is that was a really great scene. It was really, you know, and, and it, and it lasted for like, that was pretty much the, the early to mid two thousands is when that scene was going on and then, you know, you grow older and people move and, and go to college and life happens and, and it just kind of shifts into something else. Plus by then the internet was becoming what the internet, you know, turned into and, and, uh, and my space was happening, uh, by that time. And, and so there was still yeah, stuff going on. And- yeah. Pure volume. That's right. Yeah. I remember pure, pure volume. Um, but anyway, uh, so let's. I want to talk specifically about like so the the trajectory of, of your musical career like throughout those years, and then yeah, and then into like Robots in the Garden, which was about about a decade later is when because that was like two thousand nine, two thousand eleven. Um, so Mercury Shoes, um, just tell me because that was throughout high school, right? Like that was you, you guys played throughout high school, and then when did that sort of come to an end? And and then how did you get into the Rising Tide? Yeah, so I mean. Um, all through high school and, and Mercury Shoes is really good as far as kind of it, it, what that helped me learn how to do is learn how to promote, um, you know, cause when I was in high school, that's when we were, you know, that's when, you know, we were doing flyer bombs. Like we'd go to random high schools with like a thousand flyers and just walk in the door and throw them all over the place. You know what I mean? yeah. And then just turn around and walk out. And that, um, and that worked in those days too, or it worked to a degree. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely did. You know, you, you know, especially back then, if you're, you know, because it wasn't like, you know, let me send you a Facebook invite to this show or, you know, hop on bands and town or anything like that. It was, you know, if you had something tangible in your hand, you're more likely to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that went until we graduated from high school, um, which would have been 2004. Um, and then, you know, I just kind of like, like, hey man, like I like I'm I don't know what I'm gonna do now. Like I've been you know used to playing in this band and and like I still want to be playing music, but I you know I don't really know what what I'm gonna do. And uh, you know we played all the time with with Sandbox Heroes and got to be you know good friends with uh, Evan. Um, his brother Brian was playing bass at that point. Um, Andrew Lozen uh, was playing guitar. Um, you know they had pianos and then uh, Justin Baker um was playing drums and they were like hey man like we could always use like a third guitar player like we like your voice we think it'd be good for for harmonies and i was kind of i was a little bit of the odd man out um because <laughs> i graduated from high school and like i like i smoked cigarettes and you know i like i'd like to drink you know i i promised my mom i've talked about this before on on my podcast but going into high school, I promised my mom that I would, you know, I wouldn't drink, I wouldn't do drugs or anything like that until I graduated. Then I was free to do whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I graduated and I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to try like smoke some weed and I'm going to try drinking. And, and I was really the only one who did those things. So it was a little bit of a, of a shift, like kind of coming in because I was a lot different, uh, in that perspective. Um, but it worked. I mean, we, we put out a record, uh, at Sandbox Heroes called, uh, I want to say it was called World of Grey. Um, the, the best days are the first to fade. Wasn't that it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. The best days are the first to fade. Yes. And then World of Grey was the, was the, one of the, the, the tracks on that. Yeah. yeah. 
um, which we we recorded with a, a dude, Chris Avalos, who was in Monument Monument. So just kind of tying back to like how everybody knew each other. Um, and then, you know, just like with any with any band, you know, what I mean, there was like girlfriend drama and, and people left and stuff like that. So we ended up switching up the whole lineup. Um, Justin, uh, Justin quit playing drums. He left and I uh, knew my friend Jay, uh, Jason McGlone, who played for this band Avenue for a really long time. Uh, he came in and played drums because he was just one of those guys that, you know, he was into playing whatever. And, and I mean, he runs a uh, he runs a, a studio in Minneapolis now. Hmm. Um, he, I mean, he's still just he's still a great drummer. He does great production work like just <laughs> pardon me, just uh, just phenomenal musician all around and a great producer. Uh, but he came and played drums. Um, Evan's little brother, Jordan ended up coming in. He was playing, uh, like synth and, uh, keyboards. Like we had a move and all that stuff. And, uh, our buddy Tim came in and played guitar. And at that point we were just kind of like, man, like this isn't sandbox heroes anymore. We need to come up with a new name. And I think the rising tide just kind of stuck because, you know, as like tides change, I think was kind of like the idea behind it where, you know, this started off as one thing and now it's something different um so yeah i mean we did that uh, geez we we did that and then we put out uh drive home dreaming um and that record came out and we ended up touring for a while on that we would do like we go out for like two weeks come home you know go out for two weeks um did a couple of tours with those guys as sandbox heroes and then um as uh as the rising tide as well um and then Tim ended up leaving. And then, uh, my buddy, Eric Gaither, who was in Madison AD, uh, he actually ended up coming in and playing guitar for the rising, for the rising tide. Um, and that's kind of where, that's kind of where the, the start to robots in the garden came from because yeah. you know, it was me, Eric, and then, uh, and then Jay, uh, the drummer. And kind of like you mentioned earlier, like we were playing, you know, we weren't like a church band, but you know, you get booked to play like youth group shows and, and stuff. like. That. And it was just really like, it was really like, I, I enjoy the, like the memories of it fondly and looking back, like I had like, it's one of the best times of my life, but I think I was just looking to, to try to do like a different kind of music. Mm -hmm. Cause if you remember the rising tide stuff is very poppy. There's, you know, three, four part harmonies and <clears throat> excuse me. A lot of it's all like, major chord stuff like that so jay and eric were definitely more like me as far as like a little bit into different things um and so we we started uh playing with our friend uh josh dylan um just kind of like experimenting around like you know we wanted to do it it's out there uh we're, we're actually talking about uh, like potentially re-releasing it because i still talk to all the robots guys we i mean it's I mean, it's been 10 years since our last record came out. We have a, a, a group, uh, group message and we still chat and all sorts of stuff. And, um, actually kind of been like kicking around some ideas and working on some stuff. So that's kind of fun too, just being down in, in Nashville and, and still being able to, to kick ideas back and forth and, and put some things together. But, um, you know, the three of us were just like, man, like we kind of want to do something a little different. And so, we got really, really experimental. And like, I think we were, we got really focused on 
one of Queen's record is a one of Queen's records is a concept album. So like every song plays, you know, it just it's it's an entire album, but it's written as one like large piece of music. So we were like, right. we're gonna write three songs. It's gonna be like eleven minutes long. Each one goes from you know into the other into the other. And the more that I think we started kind of dabbling in that and having fun there, uh, I think that just kind of like, I think that was more of like, okay, this is what we should be doing right now. Mm -hmm. um, so we ended up, the, I still remember it's, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those memories that kind of sticks in your head forever. But, you know, we had like a, a practice and as the rising tide, and then we were like, Hey, we need to have a meeting. And, you know, there was five of us in the band and three of us all at once were just like, Hey, we're going to do this. Um, and so it was, it was very, it was very tense. And especially because we still had a couple shows to play after that, um, you know, it was rocky there for a little bit, but, um, yeah, I think everybody came through the better, you know, Evan had great success with, uh, good luck varsity and now American arson and, um, <laughs> robots. We definitely had, you know, we definitely had our run and, and a lot of fun there, but um, it was just kind of like we had been doing that for so many years that it was just kind of like, you know, we want to try doing something a little bit different. Right. It had run um, its course. It had run its course. Yeah. It sounds like. Yeah. And you know, it like there wasn't any animosity. Um, you know, and this is, this is the one thing I'll say about Evan um, is that Evan is somebody who he is always, Evan was a singer, uh, guitar player for the, the rising tide for, you know, folks who are listening who may not know who I'm talking about. And he's the guitar player and, uh, singer now for American arson. But, um, he, he has always been like, this is my, like, this is my journey. This is, it's very, I've always kind of related in my head very much to like a knight in King Arthur's court where he's <laughs> like, this is my quest. And I'm not like, there's nothing that's going to stop me. And to his credit, like nothing has, like he's continued to, you know, when the rising tide dissipated, he started Good Luck Varsity. They had member changes. He just kept going. Um, you know, when when that kind of ran its course, he's got American Arson now. I mean, they're signed to a label. They're doing, you know, they're they're pushing, and I couldn't be happier or more proud of them. Um, but there was, you know, at I think <laughs> at that time there was <clears throat> there was a little bit of like, okay, you guys were with me, and now you're not with me, mm -hmm. and they're you know there was a little bit of animosity there and it's long since been clear, but, um, you know, it was just, it's just hard whenever, yeah, I've always equated it. You know, if you're in a band with four other people, that's like having four, you know, other girlfriends or boyfriends or whatever, you mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, so you, you, there's a certain responsibility on that relationship and, it, you know, a breakup there is just like a breakup with, you know, somebody that you've been dating forever. It just, it, just cause you're all friends. It doesn't make it any easier. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, it contains all um, the same, all the same baggage and all the same sort of, uh, emotional, emotional, uh, turmoil that comes with that sort of, cause it's sort of like, well, you remember the one time you did this and then, and you know, well then you always do this when we're on tour and da 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 da. And, and, uh, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's, I've, I've had a couple musicians on the past couple weeks here and, and every single buddy has, every single person has, use that metaphor of, of it's like a marriage or, or a typical relationship. Um, so we can go on and on about that. Uh, but so, uh, but so robots in the garden, you guys were together, uh, for, for a couple of years. And cause that was, you, you were extremely active in that band. That was like, you know, I remember cause it, 
it, but there was actually one thing because Joey Fava ended up joining you guys, didn't he? he? But he wasn't there in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So you know what what happened was, um, you know, we had all it was uh, myself, uh, Eric Gaither, uh, Jay McGlone, and then Josh Dillon, and you know we were like really gung ho on it, and then uh, Jay was like, "Hey, I'm going to Minneapolis. I'm I'm going to um, I'm going to go to music school in St. Paul." And so we were kind of like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, well, we don't have a drummer. So, like, I guess, you know, and, and again, what we were doing at the time, uh, it's, it's out there, I know, somewhere, but it's, it's, uh, it was called the Nether Dome, and it was Acts 1, 2, and 3. Um, at the time, it, like, for what we were doing compared to other music that was being played, it was not very, not being played in, in that, or compared to music being played in the area, it wasn't very like, it was weird. You know what I mean? Mm. Like that was the whole point of it. So we we're just like, there's not going to be anybody who like wants to, to, you know, sign on and, and do this. So we, we didn't really, we, we were like, that's it, you know? And so I think about a year, a year and a half went by and uh, you know, I still would hang out with the guys like, you know, Josh and I, there's probably a hard drive somewhere, just a bunch of songs that we recorded in a, in a, a spare bedroom, something like that still writing and, and things like that. But Gaither called us up one day and was like, Hey man, uh, you know, Joey's learned all these songs. Like you want to jam? And I was like, sure. Like I haven't played them in a while. So it'd be awesome, you know, to be awesome to be able to like get together and play. So we went and it just kind of clicked, you know what I mean? And, and Joey, we always called him, uh, we always call him scrappy Doo Cause Joey is that kid who, you know, he was in sixth grade playing with kids in high school because he, his, his dad was a drummer. He just like, he's one of, one of the most talented musicians. I mean, the kid can play guitar, he can sing, he can play bass, he can, uh, he can play drums and he does all of them extremely well. Uh, he's like learning piano and, and doing awesome at that as well. Um, so he's just always been, you know, really, really talented. So he kind of came in and, and he just got that, like that, like young buck energy. Um, and it, I mean, it just kind of clicked. And so we were like, all right, well, like, let's keep writing. So he wrote some songs. I wrote some songs. We wrote some songs together. Uh, and that's where the, the first EP missing pieces came from, um, was just kind of, you know, he had brought some ideas. I brought some ideas. We worked on some ideas as a group and got enough songs together to do a, to do an EP. Uh, we recorded that with, uh, Matt Halliday, uh, at Mink Studios at the time in, in Farmington Hills. Um, but yeah, that was just a lot of like NBA live and, and trying to track those, that, that first set of songs. So. Yeah. And then you guys, and then you were off, right? Like, cause you, you did you tour with them? I, I thought you did like, and, and you guys, cause you put out another album in 2011. I remember uh, as well. Um, yeah, so we put out a, a self title in 2011. We didn't end up touring. What what our strategy was was that we really wanted to. We went in saying, "Hey, like we're going to hammer Metro Detroit. Like we want to get radio plays. We want to we want to like build our stats here, basically, so that when when it comes time to tour, we can do it right. You know what I mean? So like we were looking. We wanted to because you know now there's so much so and even then so much of what you do is diy you know what i mean it's like you know you're booking all your own shows you know you're you're doing the flyers for your shows you're making your t-shirts you're making your stickers like we used to have uh t-shirt printing parties like 
we sold little robots in the garden thongs for a really long time. So uh, there's like, you know, four dudes in a garage chain smoking cigarettes, just ironing on details on the ladies underwear. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like, that's how it gets done. So good times. we were just like, we were really, really focused on, we were really, really focused on like, let's hit, hit Detroit, get our stats, you know, get where we need to be. And then we can leverage that into, you know, let's get, let's get a tour going. Um, and you know, it just it didn't it didn't get where i think we wanted it to and you know just like any other band you know there's just a lot of ups and downs there was you know a point where you know i was like man you know what i'm i'm gonna be done this is i was in a relationship at the time and it was causing turmoil with the the girl that i was seeing and you know i was getting it from the band and then getting it from her and so you know i was just like i guess you know i need to leave the band and then we broke up and I was like, man, I made a stupid decision. And so I came back and we started playing again and, you know, just, you know, at the time you don't think about it because you're in the moment, but I was just like, you know, it was just, it was like young man shit. You know what I mean? That you yeah. know, once you hit like, you know, 35, 40 years old, you'd be like, Oh, I do everything differently if I was in there now. But um, you know, when you're young and especially I think musicians, there's a lot of emotion and things like that. So, you know, there's just, again, plenty of, plenty of like yelling arguments and things like that. But I think, uh, we made some, we made some really good music. I think that, I mean, at least I think so. Um, I think that, you know, not only did we make music, but I think that, you know, we, the people that got those albums, the people that came out to see us, I think the greatest thing for me is always that they're, we connected with them in some way. So something that we were doing, there was a like a lasting connection um and that you know that's still resonant i get messages you know from time to time being like oh i was just listening to this song or you know what i mean and like that's the best feeling in the world because it's been i mean that record came out what 10 years ago you know and there's still people that it's in their rotation you know what i mean and, and it doesn't have to be so i think that is one of those things that it's just like yeah i'm just lucky for the opportunity that i was part of something that that other people have let into their lives, whether that was Mercury shoes or, you know, the rising tide or, or robots, you know, whatever it is, if, if you've listened to something that I've worked on or, you know, you, you know, from time to time you go back and revisit it. Like that's the, I think as a, as a musician at no matter what level you're at, I think that's like the, like the, the best feeling that you can have is just knowing that like, okay, like somebody still all these years later still feels that connection. Yeah. It's the connection and it's still out there too. You can, you can uh, look for robots in the garden. On, I know it's on iTunes. That's, that's where I found it. Um, and then yeah, uh, it's on uh, Spotify, both records. Um, I mean, if, you know, if people are listening and they want to check it out, uh, like I said, we may have, I don't know, you know, really what I'm supposed to say about it, but like I said, we, you know, even being in, uh, even being in Nashville, like I come home to visit my family. The last time I was there, uh, I got together with the guys and uh, we've been kicking some stuff back and forth, sending each other files. So, you know, there may be something down the line that's coming out. That's a little bit newer that maybe people will want to check out. So nice. Well, that's, that's great, man. And, and, you know, uh, like drive home dreaming too. the record you did with the rising tide. Like I was listening to that on the way here too. And that's, that is still, that's on Bandcamp, at least that's that's where I found it, and um, you can listen to that. And that, to me, is like a really good representation of what that whole Canton Plymouth scene sort of sounded like. It wasn't, it didn't touch every aspect of it, but because it was this sort of com- combination of several bands from that area, 
at that time, it's a good representation. I, that's like what I would show to somebody if they said it. What did this sound like when you were going to these shows? Um, but uh, but so, dude, like after Robots, um, what uh, did you, did you move to Nashville right after that ended, or was he, were you hanging around Detroit for a little bit more? No, man. I'll be honest with you. Nashville actually didn't have anything to do with with the music scene. Um, I mean, I love it being down here. Like we go to shows, and and you know, it, the the great thing about this town is that you know if you just walk up and down any street on a Friday, Saturday night, like you're going to hear, you know, six, seven, eight different kinds of live music. And you can just walk in, check somebody out. And leave. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. um, if you were somebody who likes seeing live music, this is definitely the town for you. Um, honestly, the, the way that I ended up in, uh, in, in Tennessee is, is like a lot of stories. It was a girl. Um, oh. I, yeah, I, uh, I, robots had kind of run its course joey um that had started playing for and he still plays for a band uh called kaleido mm-hmm. which you know if you ever get the chance man uh get uh joey fava christina chris on the show uh she's the singer i have um, i've reached out to them man I, I have reached out to them i've known who they are for quite a while they they you know like i, I mean i like i said i followed you i followed uh i mean i followed your musical career rather i, I haven't followed you since you've been been in nashville but uh uh I've I've followed everybody, you know. I've, I've like I said, I had Evan on earlier, and so I've I would love to talk to them. We haven't uh, I haven't been able to do it yet, but they're they're next on the list now that I've gotten you on. So I would, and I've Kaleido has been around. I mean, it was right after Robots oh, that dude. Joey started doing it. So and they've they've had some real success. Like they're probably in the past ten years. You talk about like Detroit bands, like local Detroit bands. They're in the probably in the like the top five that I can think of. It was like them and Wilson and. Uh, drawing a blank on the other ones at the moment, but anyway, yeah. So I w- I'd love to talk to them, and uh, and I yeah, I, and I, I, I plan mean, I'll on say it. too. That's that's one thing. Being older, like because you see, like Joey and Christina, like killing it with Kaleido, right? And then um, Ryan Graham, um, who was in uh, oh yeah, that's the right, great, the Great Basement Crusade and uh, the Dry Leaf Project. Um, you know, he, he plays for state champs, you know, they're on, on billboard and he's got speak low if you speak love. And then, you know, uh, every Avenue came out, you know, another band, you know, hit, hit high up on the, on the uh, billboard charts, Chiotis Wilson, right. These are all people that, you know, used to spend Saturday, Sunday, Friday with, in a, you know, in a, in an old church or like a, like some shitty dirty bar, you know, so it's cool to, it's cool to be able to see, see, so many people that like have put in that time, I think maybe just being someone who, who was there doing it as well. You know, it's, it's one of those things where like, there's not even any jealousy to it. It's just like, man, like I know you worked really hard and you deserve all the success that you have. Yeah. Um, and so it's just, it's a really good feeling. You know what I mean? To be able to see like, Hey, like you did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It um, worked out. It's like, it can, it can happen. You know, it, it is, it, there's, there's more than, you know, hard work. It doesn't happen without hard work. Um, but without that sort of lightning strike, it's, you know, you do need to sort of be right place, right time. A lot of the, a lot for a lot of it, but it is good to see that it is possible. It is indeed possible to, yeah. to sort of, to get to that level and to, to climb the ladder, so to speak. But you said, so you moved, when did you move to Nashville then? And it was, you said it was for a girl then. Yeah. So my cousin had moved down here to go to college and she ended up, uh, becoming, uh, really good friends with my wife. Um, and so it's, uh, my, it's a side of my family that lives, um, 
on the east side of there in Sterling Heights in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And so like I would go, you know, I'd see them on like Christmas a couple times throughout the year. Um, and it was Christmas. Uh, no, no, they were doing a summer party, like a, like a, they do like an annual, like just like summer pool party. Um, and like some years I'd go, some years I, you know, would have other stuff going on, but I was like, I guess, you know, I'm not doing anything. Josh and I were still, you know, kind of kicking out ideas and, uh, he runs the pipe yard studio. Um, so, you know, he had just built that and we were there kind of tracking out different ideas and stuff at that time. And so I went to this family party and there's this girl there that, you know, I was like, Hey, I'm not related to you. And, uh, we, uh, you know, we kind of just, we started talking and, and we were hitting it off really well. And in my head, I was like, man, it's kind of a bummer because she lives, you know, 10 hours from here. So it's not like I'm going to like ask for her phone number or, you know, anything like that. Like, you know, it's just, I guess I just enjoy the conversation and sometimes you just get like, you know, you just get a nice moment. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So fast forward a couple months to December, uh, I'd gone over to see that side of the family for Christmas and my dad's side. So we, you know, get together to do Christmas stuff. And my cousin was like, Hey, so, uh, so Kara was asking me, uh, how her future husband's doing. And I was like, (laughs) what? And, uh, I was like, well, you know, give her my number, tell her to, to text me. You know what I mean? Cause at that, that point I was intrigued and I definitely had was into her, but I, you know what I mean? And at the time I was like, you know, we're going to like text flirt, you know what I mean? Like maybe send some pictures back and forth, but it's not going to be anything, you know, like I say, you still got that like 10 hours between you or whatever. Um, and she replied back, uh, Hey, if, if he wants to text me, he needs to ask me for my number. So th- <laughs> I think that kind of, piqued my interest a little bit there too as well I was like okay so you know next thing i know like we're we're texting in and talking all the time and i come down here to to visit her and then she had finished uh uh her last year or finished uh college for the for the year and she came to stay with me over a summer and so we were just kind of doing that back and forth and i was like man you know i don't like uh like definitely super into this relationship you know what i mean like i'm like it's not like I've got a band or anything that I'm walking away from, or, you know what I mean? Like I'm invested in, in, in this and what this has become. Cause I definitely did not think that that was ever what it's going to be or what it was going to be. So I fit everything that I could into the back of my car and, and drove down here. And uh, her parents were nice enough to be like, yeah, you can stay with us until uh, you know, you, you guys, until you find a, a job and get enough money to, uh, to, you know, get your own place and, so I stayed with them for, you know, probably like eight months. And then we ended up getting our own spot and, you know, you flash forward a couple of years and, you know, we're married, we've got a kid. It, I mean, I, I think I definitely made the right decision. So, yeah. What what um, year did you go down there then? What year did that all start? Uh, I want to say it was, it's been, it was September of 2013. So I've been here seven years. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. Time so, flies. And it's crazy, man. Like, especially how time because you you know de- it definitely does not feel like it's been seven years especially with like my whole family still living up there and things like that but it's uh it's just it's crazy like i think you have to be i'm definitely somebody who is like you got to be open to the to the potential of opportunity right because like mm-hmm. if i wouldn't have been open to playing with you know the rising tide and never would have you know, started doing robots. And if we never would have been, you know, we, if I'd never played with robots, I wouldn't have the relationships that I have now. And, and yeah, I probably wouldn't, you know, be doing this podcast and yeah, I wouldn't, you know, we won Detroit music awards and, you know, like I wouldn't have these things. 
Um, and if I wouldn't have you know taken the chance on that, I wouldn't have my daughter. I wouldn't have the life that we have right now. So it's like, you know, if there's something that comes across, it seems like it's, it's a little bit of a risk, but the reward is there, you know, that my whole thing is take the, take the opportunity to take the chance. You know what I mean? I, and I think that was the thing too, is that like, I knew that if, you know, something didn't work out, it's not like I didn't have any place to go. It's not like I couldn't go back home or anything like that. So, you know, there, you know, wasn't really, wasn't really like a huge gamble. You know what I mean? It's not, yeah, like, yeah. It's not like I was like, you know, so. Yeah, man. Well, it's I, that's great advice, and 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 uh, and I will definitely take that to uh, to heart because where I'm at in my life right now is I'm sort of looking around, and seeing what it, what the next thing I'm going to do is. Um, I kind of know what I'd like to do, but there's what you want to do, and then there's what you know the universe sort of uh, doesn't. It's not so much a, it allows you to do it; it's sort of what it presents you with. And um, so, yeah, I will definitely be keeping my eye eye open for that. Uh, what are you doing? What's your day job down there? What do you, where are you? What are you doing for work? Yeah, man. So I, um, I actually work uh, customer service. I try to just because, you know, I like, I know people that I work with and stuff on social media. So I try to keep the name of the company a little low. Um, but I, I basically do, uh, do customer service. And, and if you're calling in about like a bill or, you know, an issue with your service, something like that, yeah, I'm, I'm the person that you get. Um, which is funny. It's never anything that I imagined doing, but I started doing this and then I was like, man, like I, I really think part of the reason that I started doing the podcast is because I kind of found myself like really connecting with a lot of people. Like I've, I've taken phone calls where people called in about their bill and you know, they're by the end of the, by the end of the call, like they're crying on the phone because it's, it's not that they're mad about the bill. It's that they're, you know, they're mad that, you know, their husband left them or something for somebody. And, you know, she, this person's left with the, some crazy, crazy bill and, you know, costs for their service or whatever. So I was like, man, you know, like I, I really enjoy talking to people and I feel like I kind of know I've met some really interesting people down here. Um, and so I was like, man, like, I just, I like, I just want to start doing this in the way that I enjoy it, like outside of work. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what led me to to start the podcast. And that's, and that's the John Versations podcast, which is actually my next question anyway. So that, but that's how it started then, huh? It was, it was these phone calls you're taking at work and you find there's just something about you that these people open up to. And you're like, well, hell, I should start recording these types of conversations <laughs> that I have with people. Yeah. I mean, I've always been a fan. I mean, you know, since podcasts are really have been, like become a thing, like, um, you know, like I, I'm a huge fan of like the Joe Rogan experience just cause he has so many different people on. Um, uh, I, you know, I like, uh, cereal, my wife, we just went and saw, um, uh, Dak Shepard's armchair expert. Oh, you know, he came, um, did you listen to, uh, to did, Nashville? Did you listen to S town by any chance, which is the same people who did cereal? I did not. I'll check it out. You have to, man. It's, it's, yeah, if you like cereal, you'll love it. Send them my way. Yeah. It's called S town. <laughs> it's, it was, uh, they were going to do a movie of it, but, um, it's, it's the, it was, it's the best narrative podcast I've ever heard. Um, and, uh, it's about this town in Alabama. I won't give anything away, but it's the same people who did cereal. Um, so I'll, I'll, okay, I'll email that out. to you. Um, but, uh, have you, have you heard stranglers? I have not. No. Oh, dude, Stranglers is about the Boston Strangler. Oh, oh my God, 
so good. I would definitely, if, if anyone's listening, they're into that, that kind of thing. Um, I would recommend stranglers. And then there's one called in the dark as well, uh, which is about this, uh, this little kid named Jacob Wetterling who uh, was abducted in the eighties. Um, and his abduction actually led to like the national sex offender registry and all. Really? I mean, it's just a, like a crazy, crazy story. So if people are listening, they're into those kind of things, stranglers in the dark, in the dark just came out with the second season. I haven't checked it out yet, but um, that first season is just mind blowing. It's so good. Huh. Well, t- who, so what kind of guests do you have on the John Versations podcast? Is you only, you've only been doing that. I think you launched it last month, right? Wasn't that the, the, the beginning of it? Yeah. So uh, this today, uh, this Wednesday, episode seven uh, just launched. Um, so I, I am, I'd like to kind of set the bar a little higher for myself to make me work for it. So I told myself like, I'm going to do a long form podcast and I want to do at least one every week. And that's, you know, that's with working, um, you know, having a kid, you know, just the normal, like, you know, husband, father responsibilities, things like that. I am fortunate enough that I get to work from home. So that makes it a little bit easier. Um, but yeah, so like my first episode um, was with a, a woman named Nikki Talley. She is a licensed therapist here, uh, specializes in DBT therapy. Um, and I've had her on the show because, you know, she grew up, um, she grew up the child of a, of a person with, uh, substance issues, right? Like substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, her, uh, her mom actually, you know, ended up going to prison, uh, for some of those same related, you know, sim- some same issues and her story is very much of perseverance and the fact that, you know, now because of where she came from, she's now in a profession where she, she helps people be the best version of, of themselves. Right. So, um, that to me was really, really interesting to kind of just be like, you know, like, how do you think that correlates? You know, how does what happened to you kind of, you know, determine your direction? Um, I've had my friend, um, Matt, uh, Matthew Satterfield, he's a, uh, two-time Emmy award-winning cinematographer. So he's kind of come on and talked about how, you know, I mean, we, it's not like we're in LA, he's from, he's from Tennessee, you know? So it's like, how do you get into that profession? Um, what was it about that profession that drew? So the, the, the whole point of my show is that I think whether, you know, I, I think a lot of the times we, we really care about like celebrity stories but there are everyday people out there with stories that are just as if not more interesting and perspectives that are you know just as or or not more interesting so i'm i'm really trying to give voices to those kind of stories um like this episode that just went up today is with my friend uh christina bowersop she is a first generation immigrant from ukraine so you know she kind of talks about like her parents her dad got a, a visa to come here just out of like, he signed up for some random lottery. It was like a one in 10 million chance and he got picked. Wow. So he signed up for this lottery, completely forgot about it, met her <laughs> mom, got married, had a kid. And then they were like, Hey, you can go to the United States if you want. And so <laughs> he came here and was here for two years trying to get them visas to come over. You know what I mean? So came here without like knowing the language, anything like that. Um, and then was able to get his wife and his daughter over and, you know, built a life for themselves. So it's like, 
her story, her parents' story um, is a, a really, I mean, when you, when you boil it down, it's just kind of like that, like that real American tale. You know what I mean? Like I came over here, couldn't speak the language, had nothing in my pockets. And, you know, I, I made a life for myself. Um, and then she's also an artist. She, she makes really, really interesting uh, erotic collages where she buys pornographic magazines. She buys food magazines uh, and like architectural magazines. And she blends them all to just make these like crazy, I, I can't even explain them, man. They're just, they're, they're super, uh, they're super, super interesting and they're unlike anything that I've ever seen. So I wanted to have her on to kind of talk about that as well. So um, we're seven episodes in. Um, I, the episodes usually go from anywhere to like an hour to like two and a half hours. So we're up on YouTube, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. I mean, anywhere you can find one, we're there. So if, if people are listening and they want to check it out, um, you know, we're just, we're brand new. And I think there's, you know, going to be something for, for everybody, just depending on who's on the show that week. So hell yeah, man. Yeah. Check that out. The John Versations podcast available wherever podcasts are available. Um, and, uh, yeah, dude, that's great that you started off that show with a therapist too, especially after it sounds like the, th- the conversations you, that sort of inspired the podcast were somewhat therapeutic with people saying like, my husband left me, blah, 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 blah. And, and, and uh, it's it, podcasts in general, like you mentioned, Joe Rogan is sort of the, the, the Coca-Cola of podcasts right now. It's sort of the one that everybody references. Uh, it's. The, what makes it so appealing is just like you said, those long form conversations where it's just two people sitting and documenting their, documenting their uh, conversations and uh, the sorts of things that you can get out of people. Like I said, like I've been doing this almost three years now and I've talked to some people that I never thought I'd get to talk to. And even somebody like you, you know, like, I mean, I, you know, I never really knew you uh, like personally or anything, but I knew who, who you were. I've known who you are since 2004 and here we are you know, almost 20 years later. And, and now I'm getting the back, the, the background on how, how all that stuff that I was a witness to actually happened. And it's, it's and where you're coming from and where you're going and all that. And it's, it really is this new art form. And, um, and it's, it's just getting started too. I, I have no idea where it's, it's going to go. Yeah. And I, I don't know about you, man, but like one of my favorite things, uh, and I think, you know, with you and I, I don't think it was necessarily so much of a, a hurdle. Cause you know, I bumped into like, I've known who you were, like we bumped into each other, you know, here and there and stuff like that. But um, my favorite thing is when you get somebody in for an episode and you can, you can tell that as they kind of go through, like, you know, they start off kind of reserved a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then as you, as you go through, it's almost like they forget what they're doing. You know what I mean? And it just becomes like they start to open up and then it just becomes, you know, two people communicate, like two people communicating, Absolutely. you know, um, that's kind of my favorite thing is just, if I can get someone to that point where they kind of forget that there's a microphone in front of their face, like, you know, um, I mean, I've had a nine one one dispatcher on, uh, I've had my friend Emily on who, uh, she traveled to, <laughs> she's a certified yoga instructor. She's uh, traveled to India and, and studied there and, um, just got, you know, crazy life story. So she came on and kind of talked and, you know, it's, if you can get to that place where, you know, you, you forget what's happening. I really think that that's where that magic is in that moment. And I think that's kind of what captivates people is that, you know, I think all of us as human beings, we're all vulnerable, you know, and sometimes it's, we're almost pressured to kind of feel like we shouldn't be. So when you see someone who is, will be 
open or, you know, someone who's willing to share those experiences. I think it speaks to people in a way that, you know, we can't really fathom unless we're the person being spoken to. Um, so, you know, that's really just the whole thing is I just, you know, I want to keep having people on and um, just keep giving people a voice, you know? Totally, man. Well, the John Versations podcast, like we said, uh, what, what else you got coming up in the future, man? What, uh, just what's going on? What, what can you tell us about uh, that you're, you're looking to do or besides, uh, besides the podcast uh, in, the, in the next year? Yeah, man. I mean, right now, um, I'm, I'm really focused on the, uh, the podcast, which if people want to check it out, they can go to johnversationspodcast.com. It's just like conversations, with, but with a John in front of it instead of a conversation. Um, I'm also uh, working on, I mean, I'm still writing. My hope is, you know, I've got, you know, six, seven songs that I put together that I think are good enough that if, I, if I'm able to release them, that, you know, people might dig them a little bit. So, uh, I'm going to kind of keep working on those and hopefully I'll have something uh, coming out, you know, just of my own stuff here soon. Cause that's one thing I've never really done is I, I write a bunch of stuff, but anything that has ever been released has always been from a band, not, you know, something that I've just wrote and put out as kind of like a, a labor of love a little bit. So that's definitely something uh, I'm going to be looking to do. And, um, you know, just still trying to uh, kick around those ideas uh, with the robots guys. I think that, uh, um, you know, we've got some stuff coming through. Like I said, I don't know. I haven't talked to them, so I'm not really sure how much I can say, but um, hopefully, you know, a little bit later this year, some people will be happy. And um, I don't know, man, just, uh, just trying to be the best dad I can be, to be honest. And, and everything else is just kind of, you know, what can I fit in? So um, hopefully I got some music, but I'm going to keep doing the podcast every week and, and just keep rolling. Cool, man. Well, happy early birthday as well. Um, I appreciate and, it, man. And, uh, and thanks so much for coming on, uh, John Versations, uh, it's John Versations podcast.com is what it is. Yep. J O H N Versation podcast.com. Okay, cool. Well, check that out Facebook, folks. Instagram, all that. So you can check it out. So, all right. Well, again, thanks so much for coming on, man. Hang on the line. I'll give you a proper goodbye after uh, we're off the air. Um, but, uh, everybody else, I will be back next week. Will Huff, who is my brother's uh, roommate down in LA. Um, he is going to join me and talk about the Oscars that happened on, uh, uh, this past Sunday. Uh, so very much looking forward to that. And, uh, I will talk to everybody then. So, uh, everybody have a great week. This has been American Weiner on podcastdetroit.com.